Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the founder of the Miller Law Group and director for the Center for Understanding in Conflict. I'm on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Kim Wright. Kim is an author, teacher, lawyer, mediator, and recently the author of The Lawyers as Peacemaker, Practicing Holistic Problem-Solving Law, and the just-released or newly-released Lawyers as Changemakers, And I think Kim is a real innovator in the world of integrative law and seeing the practice of law from a holistic perspective. Welcome, Kim. It's terrific to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. And what I said in your introduction, I think, is really true. I really do think of you as an innovator and a pioneer in the world of integrative law. And maybe you could talk for a few minutes about what that is and how it helps people. Well, one of the interesting things about integrative law is I think we are discovering it. I've been studying it for a few years, so I can talk about it, but it may be evolving as we speak. But where it starts is the idea that we are complex human beings in a complex world and that it's not just about the legal, that you can't separate the legal and the emotional and the financial and the logistical and the spiritual, that it's all one thing. And so integrative lawyers are really well-trained lawyers who see that bigger picture and they actually do their own work. They're not therapists, but they can steer their clients. Some of them actually get even advanced degrees or further training, and some of them have a really good referral network. Integrative lawyers are in all practice areas, certainly in divorce. And I think divorce was one of the first places that the change started happening because it's just so obvious that it's not just a legal problem. The legal piece of a divorce is just a small component. It's an important component, and it's the one that makes it official. You're either married or you're divorced based on the law, but there are a whole lot of other factors. And so in integrative law, we look at all of that, and we bring people together in a way that is looking at the big picture and what are the results they're looking for. I really appreciate that. And I actually think very much that that's the way that I practice because you have to take the person and their lives, right? And the person and the family and not just the legal problem. And if you don't do that as a lawyer, you're really doing a disservice to the, to the parties because they are not defined by their divorce. They're not defined by whatever the legal problem is. That problem or situation fits into the context of their lives, and there should be some sense of what that is and some connection back into their life itself. We've actually kind of made up these rules as lawyers and legal professionals that are put on top of a really complex situation, and we try to put it in a little box to make it like this is an issue of equitable distribution. Well, yeah, maybe that's the legal issue, but there are a hundred other things that impact that. I've been reading about root systems and plants and things like that. And um, just because there's one little sprig up there that we artificially call equitable distribution doesn't mean there's this whole system that 
has all of these other shoots on it. I think it's really easy to see that in the area of, and I'm putting air quotes around this, but no one can see, custody. You know, (laughs) one thing that I say to my clients is let's stop thinking about custody as a problem. Because when your child or children were born and you cradled them in your arms, you didn't think to yourself, oh, I have custody of this little guy. (laughs) You know, you you thought I'm a parent and I'm going to spend time with my child and I'm going to raise them to appreciate the values that I have. And that's what we should be talking about and how you're going to spend time, how you're going to raise these children together, not who has custody. Exactly. Yeah. So, Kim, when we were talking about doing this show together, one of the things that you said to me that I remember is that you said, you know, I have a lot of experience with divorce and I have a lot of perspectives from a lot of different sides of my life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, my first interaction with divorce was my own. I've had three and the three divorces have been very different and sometimes there were kids and sometimes there were not kids. And so I have the battlefield experience, if you want to call it that, although I really hope that it was less battlefield and more sort of moving puzzle pieces around. Experiential. Let's call it the experiential. I have the experiential (laughs) version, for example. So my first marriage involved domestic violence, and I became an expert in experiential domestic violence, which then led to a whole career of being a legal expert and trainer and I ran a domestic violence program as my first job right out of law school. And and so that's given me a pretty rich understanding of what can happen in that area. And then my second marriage involved a blended family that was really complex. My husband had inherited two of his stepchildren through a long story. So he had his children and her children and their child. And I had one child, so by, and we had another together. So we had seven children. And there were many opportunities to engage with other parents. Of the seven children, there were nine parents. Wow. Um, it was actually what had me go to law school. I felt like somebody in the family needed to be a lawyer. <laughs> it, was so, it was so complex. So I had that experience. And then I had the third divorce was after I was a lawyer and after I'd been doing a lot of peacemaking work. So I had the experience of going through all of the grief process, having my anger and all of that, and still trying to have a peaceful divorce. I wasn't enlightened in my first two divorces. They were not contentious divorces, or the first one wasn't. The second was pretty contentious, but they were not on that scale. The third one, I had to really work my internal process to do it that way. With that experience and When I started my law practice, I had a family law practice. It was a general practice with primarily family law for most of the time. When I went into practice, I went with the commitment that I was going to grant dignity to everyone and that my goal was that the people would be friends at the end of the divorce process. That was often a challenge, and it stretched me with my skills. So that's where I started learning about all the different ways people approach divorce. I learned about collaborative law and I learned about mediation and I actually started bringing in some tools from restorative justice and and writing contracts that were actually designed for the users. When I did a separation agreement, which I was licensed in North Carolina and separation agreements were the first step of the divorce. And so I had to write contracts that people could actually understand and they knew what to do with them. So I think that if I were ever called as an expert witness, I could probably qualify as an expert on divorce. 
<laughs> from all aspects, experiential yeah. and, and professional as well. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller talking today with Kim Wright on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com. We're here alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30, and we're talking about about divorce. We're talking about Kim's experience as a woman and recreating her life and also her professional experience as an author, teacher, lawyer, mediator. And one thing that you're talking about there, Kim, is writing a legal document for people to read, right? That Mm -hmm. is really focused on the reader rather than the lawyer or the judge. And how did you do that? Well, we now call it conscious contracts. Then I was learning about plain language drafting, and it just seemed to me that we were talking about people, and we needed the contracts to be for them and about them. It wasn't a contract we were doing for the judge or for some law review article or appellate court or something. They were for the people. One of the ways that we started, I'm going to use, since you brought up custody, because that piece is easy to talk about. We would talk about their hopes and dreams for their children, and we'd do that together, either a mediation or a collaborative process. We would figure out what are the shared values here that they have as parents and actually create a vision statement for what it is that they want for the children and how they want the children to grow up. And then, given that vision statement, we would start looking at how we were going to accomplish that and the role of each parent. I did some work with a organization in North Carolina called the Blueprint of We, and they are a marvelous group that helps people with collaboration, but specifically in relationships and creating these sorts of documents. And so I was blessed to be near them. And so I had clients who'd gone through that process that taught me a lot about what to do with my other clients. So we do this vision statement and we talk about where each person thought there would be a problem. Not like where I have a problem with you, but where I might want to sabotage this or where I might get in the way of this vision. So Kim Wright, can can you give an example of that? So just because I think it would be useful for our listeners. Yeah. So if I'm in conflict, the one of the ways you know that I'm in conflict is that I might disappear for a while and stop talking to you. So each person would then be able to describe themselves and what would be potentially problematic behavior. Yeah. But not about the other, but about themselves. And that actually diffuses a lot because, I mean, they know that about each other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been yelling at each other. <laughs> yeah. And so then they problem solve about what's going to happen when that occurrence arises. So if I'm mad, I kind of stew a little while. Maybe I would say, if you see me stop communicating, maybe that's the time that you need to reach out and whatever, fill in the blank, depending on what the conflict is and actually come up with a strategy for how are you going to deal with that. And then also in my agreements, we often put in a business meeting kind of structure where people would get together on a routine basis. And depending on the age of the child, it could be weekly or monthly or in the early years, they need more contact. And in the teen years, they need more contact. In between, they're just running around taking them to soccer games. Are you saying, just to go back to what you were saying before, that yeah. in the document itself, you write in some guidelines for the parents about what they should do in the event of a conflict mm-hmm. uh, pattern or something like that. So in your example, if you haven't heard from me for two weeks around parenting issues, you should send me an email because that would be the best way. I'm totally making that up, but something yeah, like right, that. Right, right. Yeah, whatever, whatever is the best way. 
or maybe email is not good. You need to pick up the phone and call or you need to check in on me in some way. You know, it's so interesting because, you know, the lawyer part of me is is like, well, obviously you're not going to go to family court and enforce that, you know, get a judge to say you have to send the email or you have to call instead of email. But I think what you're saying is that this document is so much more useful for people if it's a guideline for behavior, not just a legally binding contract to help them parent together or coexist together in whatever way they need to on the other side of the divorce. Right. And in the conscious contracts movement, we call that addressing change and engaging conflict. How are we going to do it? Because sometimes things just change and need to be addressed. And sometimes we're in conflict and it will happen. And so let's have a recipe for what we do when it happens. And all of those things can be a prerequisite, a precondition for filing something in court. Like a lot of times I'll do a stepped up kind of thing. Like the first step is we're going to have an email exchange or we're going to have a phone conversation. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to do the next thing. And, you know, usually I try to put in something that's specific, like, you know, they'll talk to some trusted advisor friend or something like that. And then the next step is to try mediation or collaborative law, depending on which way they've gone. And so they they try that first so that they resolve the issue as quickly as possible. And if they want to go to court about it, they have to have gone through the other opportunities before they can go to court. And the precondition is enforceable. Absolutely. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller talking today with Kim Wright on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com. And we're also available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud. And Kim, if people are interested in contacting you to learn more about some of these ideas or about your books or anything else, what would be the best way to do that? Probably the best thing is I have my Grand Central Station website, which is jkimwright.com. And so right is with a W-R-I-G-H-T. Yes, initial J-K-I-M-W-R-I-G-H-T dot com. And that's sort of the place where everything else is linked. But I have sites from each of my books, and then I have a number of sites that are about this change in law. And it's pretty easy to reach me. I am not able to give legal advice to people who call me, but I can often connect them, or especially lawyers who are interested in this approach. I definitely want to talk to them. Well, tell us a little bit about each of your books, because you really are, it sounds like, all about making law and lawyers more accessible to people in their everyday lives. And I think people would be interested in knowing more about what you've written. Well, thanks. I have the idea of lawyers have a higher possibility than what we're doing now. We can be peacemakers, problem solvers, healers of conflicts, and we actually can change the world. So one of the things for the better. I've been That's what you mean. Because <laughs> I huh? think that change the world for the better. For the better, exactly, <laughs> yes. for the better. It's like law is like the DNA of society. It tells us how we're going to relate to each other. And, you know, this, these are the things that are okay and these are the things that are not okay. I mean, it's definitely, there are a lot of things that are not okay and that are not illegal. But, you know, the big stuff, the law tries to handle. And it tells us things like who, who we can marry, when we're married, when we're not married, which side of the street to drive on. I mean, you know, it's just everywhere. It's like this invisible structure. And so the first book, Lawyers as Peacemakers, starts looking at all the ways that lawyers have sort of created new models outside of litigation to create this new world. 
as it includes things like collaborative law and mediation and problem-solving courts. And I have a whole section in there about resources. I have 75 pages of resources in that book, different tools that you can use for resolving conflict or creating visions and things like that. So that's the first book. And uh, the ABA published that in 2010. I think that people were hungry for it. Lawyers were hungry because I wasn't known at all. I mean, I mean, I have friends. But the book became an immediate bestseller. Then it's continued to sell for the ABA. So a couple of years ago, they asked me to write another book. And this one is the global movement. It's called Lawyers as Changemakers and the Global Integrative Law Movement. And it's sort of the next level of that. And Catherine, of course, you have a contribution to the book, which is wonderful. I have a lot of lawyers and about five non-lawyers who contributed their ideas to this book. And I wove it together. It's kind of like social media was a theme because some of the things are short quotes and some of them are really long law review thinking pieces and everything in between. That one just came out in December. So it's brand spanking new and it's already made sort of a splash on Cyber Monday, which was the day the book was released. It was the bestseller for the ABA. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And I think you're really on to something here, and that is that lawyers are desperate, and many lawyers, not all, but many, to find a way to really approach problem solving in a way that's more useful for people, more hands-on and more integrated into the lives of the lawyer and into the lives of the client. And that just makes more sense than this very sort of falsely rigid paradigm of the law. Yeah, that paradigm was in response to what came before. Where we are now is an improvement over jousting and dueling. Absolutely. You know, and calling people out in the street and having a gunfight. That was the previous system. And they kind of had a judge that came into town eventually. And, you know, we built this whole system that's attempting to do something in a mechanistic way that is a human experience. Okay, so we've got a system in place. Now, what are we going to do next? And you probably know this, Catherine, but some of your listeners may not. So of all the cases that are filed, only 3% of them go to trial. Yeah. And so we are all trained and expect our day in court, and 97% of them are being resolved in some other way, but they're having to kind of fit into that square peg into that round hole of litigation. So my thought is, let's just not focus on litigation. Let's look at each client, each situation, and see what is it that we need to do here to help these people go to their next step, to create peace be able to co-parent, to create a new future, and move on with their lives. In my law practice from the beginning, I created an intake form that asked a lot of questions, and one of them was, where do you want your relationship with this other person, your soon-to-be ex-spouse, to be in five years? And nobody said they wanted them dead, and nobody said they wanted body parts on a platter or any of that. They all created a vision that said, you know, they wanted to be able to co-parent, and they had no idea how to get there. So it was my clients that we took that vision, and sometimes we create like an actual event. So I remember one of my clients said she wanted to be able to sit in the bleachers at a basketball game with him and his new sweetheart and her future new sweetheart so that when their son made a basket and looked up, they were sitting together. He didn't have to like think, 
oh, do I look for mom? Do I look for dad? I'm going to make somebody mad, you know, all of that. And so that was her guidepost in working through their divorce. And I often check in with my clients, and they're doing well years later. They've held that vision, changed over the years, but the quality of it's been the same. Well, it sounds like you really helped her and maybe both of them find what really was going to be truly important in their lives and focus on that rather than focus on the distracting strategies or dollars that, you know, can be kind of thrown back and forth in a more competitive negotiation. Right. We focused on the big picture and then made the details fit that. I think that makes a lot of sense to look at the divorces as you're talking about with vision and mission and values. And uh, it sounds like you've taken big strides, uh, Kim Wright, in moving the lawyers and the law in that direction. And congratulations on that. And thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me.